0: Welcome to Local Voices from
1: iHeartRadio. I'm Brad Ford. If you're considering a remodel to your home, there's an important step you should take before hiring a contractor. Nightly demonstrations have been held for more than a month outside of the Justice Center. Police explain what they're experiencing. If you're planning a summer trip, we'll get advice from the AAA on how COVID-19 will affect your plans. And the Oregon School Athletics Association is developing plans for high school sports during the pandemic. We're spending much more time at home because of the coronavirus pandemic and many of us are looking at our homes with plans of remodeling, maybe redoing a bathroom, a kitchen or adding a deck. Before you hire a contractor, you'll want to check with the Oregon Construction Contractors Board to make sure the contractor you'll be hiring is up to date. Stan Jessup is the Enforcement Manager for the CCB. Stan, tell us about the CCB and its goals.
2: Well, a Construction Contractors Board licenses uh, contractors virtually anything that's done uh, on real property would require a contractor's license. We uh, license the contractors and also uh, provide bond and insurance coverage so we, uh, we don't provide it. We ensure that the contractor carries the bond and insurance. So if there's disputes and uh, a monetary settlement that the contractor can't pay, it can be paid by the bond uh, primarily as a consumer protection uh, mechanism. And uh, then I manage the uh, enforcement section which is the dispute resolution uh, field investigations, and the compliance section. So we do the penalty side and, and uh, inspections and so forth.
1: So if there is a problem with the contractor's work, does the CCB then help resolve that dispute?
2: Yes, we ha- that's the dispute resolution section. Uh, it starts with the consumer filing a complaint. Then uh, we have a mediation team that would try to mediate it to keep them from having to go to court. And uh, if that fails, they they would have to go to court in order to obtain a judgment. But uh, we settle about 80% of the mediations, so uh, very successful at keeping people out of court.
1: So if you're planning a project around your house, which a lot of people are doing right now, how can the CCB help to make sure the contractor is properly set up?
2: Uh, you can, first of all, check their license number on the on our website is the easy way uh, one caution in doing that, make sure that you're uh, checking the name of the contractor actually matches the name of the license number that they give you. And uh, another thing that you can do is if you need more detailed information on that licensee, just give us a call. We'll go through the whole history. The website will report 10 years. Um, my database goes back to 1971, so if anything has transpired with that licensee, I'll be able to see it. Yeah, what
1: kind of things does it show when you you look up a contractor on the website?
2: Uh, We would check, uh, well, on the website you can do the same thing. It just has a little bit of a limit at 10 years. But you can see if there's been uh, administrative actions or uh, suspensions, any complaints by consumers, uh, not the detailed outcome of that complaint, but you can see that there were complaints. And if you need more information, then, of course, give us a call. We'll, we'll go through it specifically in detail.
1: So explain why it's important to make sure that a contractor is insured and bonded and then how the CCB can help to make sure that contractor is in compliance. How, do, how does that insurance and that bond, how does that help the homeowner or the property owner?
2: Well, the insurance is not something that we really regulate other than the fact that they have to have insurance. Uh, you know, if the contractor drops the ladder, Go through your picture window. That's going to be a an insurance claim and not a bond claim. Insurance does not cover uh, workmanship. What the bond does is covers workmanship. So if you have a problem with the contractor's work, then uh, you know, potentially could collect from the bond if the contractor isn't able to, to uh, make restitution for the problem.
1: Now, COVID 19 has affected a lot of businesses, a lot of state agencies in different ways. How has COVID 19 affected the CCB?
2: Well, there's virtually no one in the office uh, during the day, but uh, all of the employees are still on staff. They are uh, were, were able to go to an electronic process so that they were able to work from home. And most of our field investigators are stationed around the state, so they're already out of the office. Um, it has impacted. Uh, personal contact on job sites, so those are down somewhat. Uh, Compliance actions are down slightly, not nearly as much as the field investigation contacts on job sites. Uh, Disputes are actually they're down just slightly, uh, mostly I think because people don't know that they can still contact us uh, during this COVID crisis, but um, I'm here in the office, and so is some of the administrative staff.
1: So if somebody needs to contact the CCB, has anything changed with that? Are you still, you can either call or or go online to file a complaint?
2: Yeah, you can always file a complaint online. Uh, You can call us. We're still taking calls. And even the people that are working from home, their calls, uh, when they left, they took their phones with them. So uh, they're answering phones just like everybody else. Or you really wouldn't notice that there is any difference other than our lobby isn't open for uh, walk-in trade anymore.
1: And with COVID-19, are you still able to complete all of the work that you did before the pandemic?
2: Yes. Yeah. It really hasn't had any effect on that um, other than, like I said, the field investigators have a more difficult time making, uh, you know, personal contact with the contractors on the job site uh, because of social distancing and so forth. But they're they're out there and they're uh, following leads all the time.
1: So on the CCB website, uh, is there a page that explains the process and and how to you know what to look for and how to check on a contractor?
2: Yeah, uh, the CCB website is Oregon.gov slash CCB. And right on that main page, uh, towards the top, has a button that says search, search a contractor's license. And you just enter in the contractor's license or their name. Uh, It's very specific when you do it by name, so you're always better if you have their license number. And every contractor should have their license number on bids, business cards, uh, invoices. So it should be very easy to find.
1: And that's one thing, that if you're dealing with a contractor and they don't have that number, that's that's a big sign right away.
2: That's a big sign. That And, you know, the uh, social media advertising, the uh, bulletin board type advertising, even the referral services that you hear on the TV and radio, uh, they're not vetting those contractors. So the consumer really needs to do that themselves or you know with our help.
1: That's Dan Jessup with the Oregon Construction Contractors Board on how they can help you check the background of a contractor before you get the work done. Portland police have talked about the nightly demonstrations that have gone on mainly outside of the Justice Center every night for more than a month. When the crowd becomes violent, they throw rocks, frozen drink cans, fireworks, and other items at the police. They even use slingshots to increase the velocity and distance. Police Chief Chuck Lavelle says it has affected their ability to keep the city safe. Yeah,
3: you know, one of the things that it's important to remember is when we have to draw on resources from the precincts to come downtown and help with uh, the demonstration, it leaves Um, people in the community who call 911, it it diminishes the service we're able to provide. There's longer wait times, um, generally speaking, we're down to priority ones or twos only, so just life safety, life emergency type calls, um, and folks have to wait, so, I mean, that's really tough when you have to balance that very limited resource at night, um, to still do the mission downtown, but also to answer calls for service where people, People really need us when they're calling.
1: It's also affecting the investigation of other crimes.
3: Well, we've been using a lot of resources from our detective division to help with uh, field arrest and processing of some of the arrests. So a lot of those detectives have caseloads that don't go away. So as they're spending time you know, assisting, their caseloads are stacking up and people are waiting for their investigations to get done and things of that nature. So it has a broader impact on just police services versus just what's happening downtown on a nightly basis.
1: Police officer Jakari Jackson was on the line protecting the Justice Center for many nights, and he noticed something about the people organizing the event. I got to see folks that
4: really do want change, like the rest of us, that have been impacted by racism. Um, And then I got to see those people get faded out by people that have no idea what racism is all about. Never experienced racism that don't even know that the tactics that they are using are the same tactics that were used against my people. And they don't even know, they don't even know the history. They don't know what they're saying. Coming from someone who graduated from PSU with a history degree, it's, it's, it's actually frightening on how, you know, they say, if you don't know your history, you repeat it. And watching people do that to other people just because of what they, Decided to do with their life. A lot of times someone of color, black, Hispanic, Asian, come up to the fence and directly want to talk to me. Hey, what do you think about George Floyd? What do you think about what happened about this? I go up to the fence, someone white comes up, F the police, don't talk to him. That was the most bizarre thing because I could I could see it I could see it coming. I even had a young African American girl. Uh, tell me, why is it you guys aren't talking to us? I said, well, honestly, this is now the 20, I think it was the 23rd day of doing it. Every time I try to have a conversation with someone that looks like me, someone white comes up and blocks them and tells him not to talk. And then right when I said that, this white girl popped right in front of her. She said, he just said that was going to happen. I said, told you, I told you. She, and she looked at the girl and said, why'd you do that? And I, 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 I straight up, I said, you know, I've been called the N-word. She's been called the N-word. Why are you talking to me this way? Why do you feel that she can't speak for herself to me? Why is it that you feel you need to speak for her when we're having a conversation?
1: Jackson talked about the danger of holding that line with demonstrators throwing commercial grade firework mortars at them. One of them went off right next to him.
4: When I had that explosive thrown at me, I saw it. I thought it was maybe just like a little firework or something like that, and I realized something was wrong. And I don't the the, you see a flash I didn't even see a flash I just felt it Um, and it was hot and I felt uh, tingling in my fingertips it was a very powerful blast and to think that someone has that much anger and hatred they don't even know someone to to throw something like that and just you know not care it's 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 sad, it, you know. It, it really is, um, but yeah, it it went off, and um, all I remember was feeling it, and then I felt a fire medic. You know, their you know their jobs are you know if if we catch on fire, um, they grab us by our shoulders and pull us back, and and they'll they'll put us out, and all we're supposed to do is cover our face, keep our airway um, open in case we do catch on fire, and I felt that, I felt that blast. I had a a gas mask on so I couldn't see that well and um, just felt these hands grab my shoulder and I was was like, oh, I'm I'm hurt, you know. I don't even know, I don't don't even know what what, what just happened. I must be messed up. Um, And they said that they were 10 feet behind me Um, and felt the blast and they, they knew, you know, know they just didn't know what had happened to me Um, and I I feel lucky that I I didn't get seriously injured Um, but you know I was told that people were uh, taping marbles and rocks to these explosives and so you just don't know what it is that you're going into uh, when these things are flying at you in the air it's so you know nights where it's dark you can't see what's coming at you and what what it is is a rock is an explosive um how long did the person hold it that it was lit where it it, it can just go off at any minute while you're just standing there and um there was i remember a night where i was uh, holding my you know um i had my my stick in my hand and i was looking at one of the forensic uh um, folks mess with their camera and this rock i mean a big rock just came and just hit my stick from the dark right between us and grabbing her in the corner back behind a car, she didn't even see it. I mean, if that had hit her in the head, that had killed her. And like I said, rocks were dark, it was dark out, and so it was was truly a terrifying experience. Just, like I said, just not knowing what could happen to the person next to you.
1: Portland police say they'll protect the right to free speech and demonstration, but when the actions turn dangerous for others, they will intercede. More than 100 police officers and bystanders have been injured during the demonstrations. (music)
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void
1: prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Travel plans. I Radio's Mark Mason from 1190KEX. Ask AAA's Marie Dodds about summer travel trends.
5: I see that uh, AAA is forecasting Americans will take 700 million trips this summer. Not this weekend, but this summer as a whole. Uh, That, you you know, and that's what, that's down from a year ago?
6: Yeah, the number sounds impressive when you think that 700 million trips between July and September, but this is actually a drop of 15% compared to last year. And it's also the first time we've seen a decline in summer travel since 2009. And if you'll recall, that was when we were in the midst of the Great Recession. So the number sounds big, but it's actually quite a bit smaller than what we would have expected for travel had we not been in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic.
5: I have to say, 15% doesn't sound that bad. I would, I would have guessed, if, if I were on a game show, I would have said, oh man, it's going to be down 40%, 35 40%. But 15 all of a sudden is a pleasant surprise. Could have been worse.
6: Yeah, it really could have been worse. And I think the thing is, when you look inside the numbers, it is interesting because we're going back to the staycation. Most people are taking car trips. In fact, 97% of people traveling this summer are driving to their destinations and they're staying close to home. So by far and away, most people are going places that they can get to in a day's drive or less.
5: So um, I'm looking at the top 10 destinations this summer uh yeah. orlando is not uh number one nor is right. anaheim uh, for obvious reasons uh and there are a couple of surprises on the list in, in my mind anyway
6: yeah the number one top summer destination for members of AAA a oregon is boise
5: <laughs> go, go figure I
6: know. <laughs> we all looked at that and so, i mean we love boise boise is beautiful The whole state of Idaho is gorgeous. And, you know, for a lot of Oregonians, they haven't done a lot of exploring of Idaho. This is the summer to do it. So yeah, Boise is the number one destination. Bend in central Oregon is the second most popular, which of course we know that's a beautiful part of the state. Oregon coast, especially the northern Oregon coast is third. Portland is fourth. So a lot of folks just exploring their great city in their backyard. And then fifth is Northern California. So, yeah, Mark, you're right. These top five look a lot different. Normally it's Anaheim, Orlando, Hawaii, Vegas.
5: Now, if I, if I look at the national predictions, uh, Denver's number one. I can't figure that one out.
6: Yeah, Colorado has been a hot travel destination for the last couple of years and it's just kind of the in place to go right now there's a lot of interest in colorado and had we not been in the middle of this COVID 19 pandemic i'm sure that colorado would have looked again very high up on that list
5: all right very good uh, and gas prices this summer are going to be i assume they'll be up because we're driving more i'm starting to figure this out now marie
6: I know supply and demand remember who knew that economics 101 we'd actually use it in life but we do yeah gas prices are increasing we're up another couple of cents here in Oregon but get this we're still 50 to 60 cents a gallon less than we were a year ago so uh, right now in Oregon our current average is about 259 a gallon a year ago we were at 323
5: okay uh, if I'm reading you correctly interpreting you correctly uh, that meant don't complain so
2: yeah
5: because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah, was that was that was Mark's dog that was whistle? Mark
6: speak. Yeah, Mark yeah, Mark speak. Mark don't speak. don't okay, don't yeah. complain, yeah. Mark.
5: Just, just shut Switch up.
6: Quit complaining. Yeah. There that's, that's right. That's right. Get the gas and than it was smile.
5: A year ago, uh, and then and then <laughs> air airlines. I was just reading an article today that they're starting to fill that middle seat now. Um, are you? You know, does that mean that that maybe they'll travel by air more than you guys are predicting?
6: Well, I think that people will slowly go back to air travel. But when we crunch the numbers for this summer, air travel on average is down about 74% from a normal summer. So that's still pretty significant. You know, there are some people who do have to travel for a lot of reasons, either work-related, family emergencies, those kinds of things. But for folks, you know, like like you and me who have the choice of whether we want to get on a plane, a lot of folks are saying, you know what, I'm going to hold off a little bit and I'm going to wait and see what happens.
5: I spoke with someone who works with the Washington State Ferry Systems, and they say they're going out with packed ferries up through the San Juan Islands. Every ferry is full, uh, and it's craziness. However, they're running a lot fewer ferries, and I imagine the airlines are the same thing. They're going to be full, but there'll be a lot fewer flights.
6: Exactly. They they have cut back on the number of flights, and so the flights that are running – are starting to uh, be full than they were a few weeks ago. And as you say, American was the first airline to come out and say, hey, we're going to start filling that middle seat again. Talk
5: to me about your, your COVID site, your COVID map, because if you are traveling, this is an awesome tool to have to check out your destination before you go.
6: Yeah, this is a map that AAA put together. Remember the old school triptychs? Well, this is the, the COVID-19 version of it. Go to aaa.com slash COVID map, and you'll find a map of North America, and it has all of the various travel restrictions and policies For every destination and one of the things we recommend for travelers is that you check in advance on the travel restrictions for each destination you plan to visit and this can be tough because many states counties cities and countries all have travel restrictions in place and they might vary from city to city or county to county as we know from here in Oregon so you can find it all with just a few clicks aaa.com slash covid map so if you click on oregon you yeah. can find out everything right there
5: it looks like uh, the map where you had the crayons you're drawing the states in colors uh, when you're in grade school <laughs> uh it really yeah. does but uh you've got it all color-coded to let people know where there are restrictions or reopening restrictions or in the case of three states no restrictions um, yeah. yeah which is great it's, to you
6: It is. It's good to know because, you know, some states still have restaurants and bars with limited service or shutting down early. Um, Some states require masks in certain areas. Some don't. It can be hard to keep track of everything. So we thought it'd be really good to put together this interactive map so that you can find all that information you know, have it on your smartphone, your tablet, your computer. With just a few clicks, you can find out about all those travel restrictions for each destination you want to visit this summer.
5: Uh, AAA.com slash COVID map, everybody. You want that? Yep. And Marie Dodds, uh, thank you so much. All the regular services about be out there for uh, AAA members. Uh, your, oh, wait a minute. Your number one call is, hold on, hold on, locked out of your car.
6: Is that right? (laughs) Well, that's one of uh, the top three in the summertime. Dead battery is actually number one. Nuts. um, And then the the second biggest problem, um, tire issue. So either a flat tire, blowout, something like that. And then, yes, the third and most popular call to AAA is I've locked myself out of my car, and you know we've all done it. I've done it. I've had to call AAA. That's a little embarrassing when you work for AAA and you have to call them because you get roused a lot. But hey, I sure am glad I'm a AAA member as well.
5: Oh, you, you kid me? I'll, I, uh, I, it's the first uh, slot in my wallet, uh, my AAA card.
1: Uh, Marie
3: Dodge Mine
1: too. <laughs> AAA. What will high school sports look like this fall? Will there be high school sports? iHeart Radio's Chad Doing from Rip City Radio talked with Peter Weber, the executive director of the Oregon School Activities Association.
7: With all the discussions that you've had, and of course you're working with a lot of different people, including, you know, with the state of Oregon and and different people across the state, uh, where are we at when it comes to having a football season this fall?
8: Yeah, at this point, to be honest, Chad, we, we just don't know. Um, you know, we have a lot more questions and answers uh we've been working as you said with people from the governor's office from the oregon health authority obviously with the oregon department of education as well and and trying to figure out what you know what does fall activities school activities look like uh you know coming up here in the next month and a half or so uh with hopefully schools reopening that's obviously a key factor there of trying to get schools back in session and some some form and you know ods come out with some information for schools they're working through that right now figuring out what makes sense for them uh, you know all in person or distance learning or a lot of them i think are looking at a combination kind of a hybrid model of maybe a couple days a couple days in person couple days you know distance learning and trying to figure that out and that, that's a big key for us going forward as well and then certainly getting getting directives from the health authority and the governor's office about what what's going to be allowed you know come the fall.
7: All right Peter let's go ahead and start with that based on where you're at right now what is some of the information the directives you've gotten from the governor's office and the other state officials?
8: Yeah so right now you know we're in the the summer period so typically OSAA you know we kind of a little bit of hands off over the summer a few of our policies are in effect but most of it is local school control. And so at this point, really, the schools are under, um, you know, the OHA guidance. If you look at the recreational sports guidance that they've put out uh, for phase two, uh, they have some some guidance for phase one that's pretty limited. Um, and But in phase two, it opens up a little bit. Uh, and we have parts of the state right now, Chad, uh, under recreational sports, which, which over the summer covers the high schools and youth sports and things like that. Uh, we have areas of the state that you know they're having baseball and softball games, and um, I think soccer and, and volleyball matches and things like that are starting up. Obviously, with some some differences in what we've seen in the past, but you know they're having practices and having some competitions, and uh, that's the phase two guidance from the OHA. We've put out some guidance to our schools as well for phase two. Um, ours, to be honest, are a little more restrictive because. You know, we have that eye towards the fall. Uh, not that not that getting things going in the summer isn't important, but we feel it's more important to to maybe take it slow right now and then be focused on what can we do once school starts in, in September.
7: What have you learned from some of your contingency groups in regards to some of the fall possibilities? What are some of the things you've been able to take from that?
8: Yeah, the contingency groups have been have been great. You know, we put those together. Towards the end of May, um, again, we did it for each of our fall sports, so cross-country, volleyball, soccer, and football. We also put them together for cheer and dance, since we oversee those, and they start in the fall as well. But basically just getting groups of um, coaches and athletic directors that have an, an emphasis on those activities, uh, getting together you know, on Zoom meetings, obviously, this this time with what's going on, but talking about what are the different scenarios that are out there? What happens if we if we have to start a season late, um, you know, if it's a couple of weeks, if it's four weeks, if it's six weeks, what does that look like? How does that impact practices or contests or the playoffs? Um, And also what types of things specific to a sport or activity uh, can be done to help facilitate practices. And, you know, if we're still under some type of physical distancing in some areas and making sure we have best practices going, what do those things look like? And having those, Those people who really, you know, hold the key throughout the state, uh, their boots on the ground, familiar with what's going on in their local communities in different areas around Oregon, uh, reporting back to us about, you know, here's what they're hearing in their areas. These are possibilities. This is what it could look like. That really helps to put together different scenarios, depending on what, again, comes down from the state Um, in terms of directives. And once we have those, we can figure out within those parameters what does it look like to potentially have you know some fall activities? We just think it's absolutely critical to have those uh, opportunities for engagement for kids, you know, come the fall. Schools, you know, again, hopefully being back uh, open, um, not just from a physical standpoint, Chad, but I mean, talk about all the mental health and and uh, emotional well-being for these kids to be around their peers, to be around their coaches. That's a real critical element.
7: If you look at Oregon as a whole, obviously. Uh, There are certain counties, different places in rural areas that are much different than Multnomah, Clackamas, or Washington counties. As you get closer to the city, they're under different guidelines and they're in a different phase in reopening. Is it possible? How are you going to handle that? Where you could have some schools that are ready to play football, but others are not, based on where they're at in their phase of reopening?
8: Yeah, that's a critical question. We've spent some time talking with our executive board, Chad. You know, they're made up of of superintendents and principals and athletic directors from around the state. And I think the, the conversations that we've had have focused on, we need to provide as many opportunities for as many kids to participate as soon as we can, as safely as we can. And that's going to be our focus. And if that means that there are certain areas of the state that are able to be open a little bit quicker and they're, and they're doing things maybe sooner than others, Well, that's important for those kids to be doing that, and we'll figure that out as we go.
1: That's Peter Weber, the executive director of the Oregon School Activities Association with iHeartRadio's Chad Doing. Thanks for listening to Local Voices. You can catch up on all of our shows on the podcast section of the iHeartRadio app. I'm Brad Ford. Local Voices is a public affairs presentation from iHeartRadio.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?